Are you a business owner looking for real advice and input? You're in the right place. From concept to launch to growth, funding and beyond. Welcome to Startup Hustle with your hosts. One once sold a business for $150 million. The other, the author of Million Dollar Bedroom. Here are your hosts of Startup Hustle, Matt DeCourcy and Matt Watson. And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here with Matt Watson. Hi, Matt. What's going on, man? Trying to get funded, dude. I got funded. I, you did? Yeah, I got the PPP money. Ah, that's a different kind of funding. Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to raise some capital for the startup hustle podcast, man. I uh, I feel that after 300 or more episodes, which by the way have all been brought to you by FullScale.io, who can help you build a software team quickly and affordably, I think we've proven the concept. So you have a business plan. Yeah. And I, I got it all. I got it all. I got it all. I got, I got a, a 47, I got a 47 page pitch deck. I've got at least 80 pages of the business plan that everyone wants to read. My one pager is so amazing. It's actually six pages long. And so with that, I thought that it would be a good time to bring in John fine, who is the managing partner of Firebrand ventures. Now, those of you listening know we love it when you're interactive. So go to firebrandvc.com. If you want to check out John or Firebrand on the social medias, it's at John Fine and that's F E I N or at Firebrand VC. John, welcome to Startup Hustle. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. I think I'm getting, I, we're getting this podcast funded here in the next 30 to 40 minutes uh, easily. But before we get into that whole thing, can you give us a little back, background about Firebrand and yourself and maybe eight to 10 reasons why you'll fund the podcast? <laughs> yeah. So, um, so Firebrand's been around since 2016. Uh, I, I founded it in, uh, in August of 2016. Prior to that, I was managing director for Techstars uh, here in Kansas City for three years. Uh, prior to that, I worked for a healthcare company, which initially was called Prescription Solutions. Um, I joined them when I was still living in California. So uh, I was born and raised in Boston and went to school, went to college in Massachusetts, moved to San Diego uh, about a year after I graduated and ended up staying in, in San Diego for 15 years. Um, that's where I got married. We had our son out there. Um, and I actually ended up working for five different startups, uh, one of which I co-founded <clears throat> while I was living there. Um, and after having done five startups back to back, I, uh, I needed a break and I got, and I, so I decided to get what I thought was this quote unquote normal job, uh, working for this company called prescription solutions and prescription solutions was sort of at the forefront of the mail order pharmacy trend, uh, sending prescriptions to the mail. And so they had outgrown their mail order pharmacy in San Diego and they needed to open one up in the middle of the country. And by the time they hired me, um, they had already picked a location, which was Overland Park, Kansas. And I'd never been to Kansas City. I'd never even been in the Midwest before. And about two weeks into the job, they called me in and said, here's this $100 million budget, and we need you to go to Kansas City and spin up this new operation from zero to 1,500 employees and about $2 billion a year in revenue. You got to go live in nine months. And at that point, it was just a shell of a building. And for those of us in KC, um, it's people ask me all the time where it is. And it's still very much 
uh, in production and, and chugging along. It's right near the corner of 115th and Metcalf in Overland Park. And uh, it's right across the street from the Sprint campus. And so that was my that was my quote unquote regular job. Instead of this regular job, it really turned out to be commuting from San Diego to Kansas City and uh, spinning up this operation. And, and we did. So we, 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 uh, when I walked into the building, it was a shell of a 300,000 square foot facility. And uh, four years later, we had 1,500 people working out of there and it was doing about 2 billion a year in revenue. So that was, uh, that was my first like post startup job. And then I, and they, they got acquired by United Health Group for 8 billion uh, in the middle of that project. And then I started running the largest projects for United. So also sort of multi-year, multi-billion dollar infrastructure projects. But, you know, it's a different story when you go from something that feels very entrepreneurial to something that feels very corporate. And so I kind of just grinded out um, a couple of more large projects for United. And then I started just showing up to startup events in Kansas City and meeting people. And that was in like late 2011, early 2012. Uh, which actually was a great time to engage with the community here. And I just started meeting people and networking and took about a year to figure out sort of what I was going to do next. But um, I actually ended up going right from United Health Group to Techstars in in 2013. Um, So that was sort of my, my progression. So you've had, you've, you've actually practiced the science and then coached it and now funded it. Um, which I'm just curious before we get more into the whole, the whole scene of, of venture and everything right now is which, which one of those do you like the best? They're all, they're all, uh, stressful for different reasons. (laughs) Yeah. Never a dull moment, uh, with any of them. You know, the thing that gets, gets me out of bed every morning. And I think the same is true for my firebrand teammates is just, just working with great founders and, and trying to help them however we can, you know, that is by far you know, the most energizing uh, parts of our job. Sure, it's like, it's exciting when you invest and you do well in an investment and you do well for your limited partners and your fund. But, um, you know, that's sort of this uh, shot of adrenaline that maybe, you know, fades a little bit. What really keeps me going personally is just is just uh, interacting with great founders. So, you know, obviously the whole scene of startups venture business life have changed recently. Now there are, you know, we've recently published some episodes that covered who some of the winners and losers are in regards to industries. Um, Obviously every business and everybody personally is affected differently. Now with that, has that, is this changing scene? Is that changing your approach to investment? Are you interested in chasing certain things and no longer interested? Like where, where are some of those dramatic shifts or where is the money going to, where, what's the money going to follow? Yeah. You know, it's an interesting period because mostly of the uncertainty, right? Like people really don't know when things are going to get back to normal or even semi-normal. And so you have some investors that are pouring money into you know, companies and sectors that they think are really going to benefit from this new situation we're funding ourselves in. Um, we don't profess to like read the future. We don't have a crystal ball. We don't know when there's going to be a vaccine and everyone's going to feel great about being in crowds again and being back in the office again. Having said that, 
there's probably some sectors that we're not super comfortable with right now, right? Obviously, it's tough for any startup that's in travel, hospitality, you know, um, energy, you know, sectors like that uh, to be raising capital right now. I think that's that's a tough, tough road. Um, and they should probably be looking for alternative sources of funding versus venture capital. Um, beyond that, it really hasn't changed our, our approach too much. Um, you know, we do feel like this is this is could be the opportunity for us to invest a little earlier in earlier stage companies than we normally would. We think this is a great time to be just heads down building versus worrying about your revenue that just got shopped by 75%. Um, and so those are some of the ways we're, we're, you know, sort of adapting to this new situation. But, you know, man, it's just uh, really uncertain. And, and so we're just keeping an open mind and, you know, along with our founders and just trying to adapt, you know, on a, on a week to week basis as to what's going on. The most important thing for us is we're still active. And I know, you know, it's almost become like a joke on social media that all these VCs are saying they're open for business. We are open for business. We just closed in our second investment in our new fund. Um, so we've made two investments in the last couple of months, uh, new investments, and we're making a bunch of follow-on investments in our existing portfolio companies. Um, so I think that's the most important thing is we think it's a great time to be investing in, in the right types of founders um, in, in the right types of businesses. And we're certainly not going to stop, unfortunately, or, you know, no judgment on, on any other VCs that, that aren't doing that. But I'd say, unfortunately for founders, um, there are quite a few VCs that don't feel comfortable making investments right now and are basically frozen. And so it just, it just all adds up to, as we all know, a really challenging time to raise money. What are your thoughts here, Mr. Watson? Well, I mean, I know several people that were close to an investment and then it all of a sudden didn't happen. And uh, I was talking to a potential VC that was interested in doing something. And uh, they're like, ah, we're going to wait four to six weeks now and we'll pick the conversation back up. We're still interested, but let's wait six weeks. Let's see if the whole world dies or what are we going to, what's going to happen? <laughs> right. Like, and, and rightfully so. Everybody's like, I don't, it's just day by day. What are, what are we doing? You know, and you know, luckily for my business at Stackify, our revenue is pretty flat, right? But I had another company I invested in. They emailed me this weekend. They're in the event space, and they're like, "Well, we furloughed every single employee. Our revenue is now zero. We have a few dollars in the bank, and we don't know what the fuck we're gonna do." I mean, that sucks. That's hard, but. I mean that's the reality. That's, that's the reality. That's the world that, yeah, that's the world you live in, and 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 certain you know we've talked about that a lot recently, and also talking about you know John, you mentioned something time to put your head down and build. I mean we've used the analogy recently that you know when the wind's blowing you put your sails up, when it's not you take them down and you patch them up, and there are and, and with that there is some opportunity uh, there. I mean, there's entire industries that are built around creating opportunity out of failure or adversity or crisis. Um, you know, at, at full scale, we have an interesting opportunity to work with a whole variety of, of, of types of clients. And, and the ones that are in the telespace and online collaboration 
any type of logistics or stuff like that. I mean, when I talked to them, they're like, dude, I, I, I don't even have time for this call. We're up 600%, you know, like we can't even keep up. Like how fast can we deploy people, you know? And, and, and then, you know, the, for the exact things you mentioned, anything that's related to travel events, um, anything that was cash flow heavy based on people being around other people. I right. mean, it's on, it's just on a full time out. And I, I think there's going to be an interesting, you know, we'll see who comes out of that. I mean, as uh, I, I've been highlighting my old age lately, I went through this in 2008 and I was old enough to remember it. And I saw entire industries fail uh, that, that weren't completely unrelated to housing, <laughs> you know, right. you know, and, and, uh, uh, and that, that's the thing is, you know, when that spending seizes up, it, it changes a lot of things. Now, recently and, and uh, some of my, so when I almost got stuck in Cebu, uh, in the Philippines during this, I had recently read a, a letter that Sequoia Capital had issued. I'm sure you've read it, their Black Swan of 2020 letter, mm -hmm. which I thought was loaded with very good advice. It was oh, yeah. very, it was very straightforward. And it was like, hey, look, you know, this is what it is. And you need to prepare for it to be a long year. Now, you know, and for those of you listening, go to go to Firebrand. That's exactly like it sounds. Firebrandvc.com. Check out the portfolio page. And you're involved with a whole lot of different companies. It's your job. Their success is your success. So much like Sequoia Capital issues this letter to the companies that they're involved in, they're wanting, they're saying, hey, look, we're, you, do, you need to do what you need to do. But in our experience, this is what I, what we found. What kind of message are you are you directing, or what kind of conversations are you having with your portfolio companies that seem to be of the highest value right now? Yeah, you know, it's an interesting. The whole thing is this is all new, right? Like like you said, you know, I, you know, I went through two thousand eight. I went through you know two thousand and two thousand one. You know, it's we've never experienced anything like this before with the speed with which this is, this has happened um, and entire sectors being shut down, you know, at the same time, we don't want to necessarily give a blanket, give like blanket advice to everybody. Like this is what everybody should be doing right now. I mean, yes, it's important to cut costs, conserve cash and make sure you survive this thing. Cause survival is number one <clears throat> in any downturn. But, uh, you know, like, and we have a couple of companies that are thriving. And so they don't want to take their foot off the gas because this is actually creating opportunities for them. However, um, that notwithstanding, most of the companies are like, yes, you have to cut costs. Um, and, and survival is mission number one, just survive. And if you can survive, let's see what happens after that. Right. Um, and I think there was a frenzied period, you know, I think it was when, you know, things really started shutting down and people started staying home where, you know, like, like all the other investors, like we were inundated. Like, so by that, by that time we had 27 companies in our portfolio and, um, you know, we were, we were rightfully so inundated with, uh, with calls with our founders, just trying to walk them through this whole situation. And a couple of things we found were really helpful. Uh, one was, uh, you know, have survival in mind right at the outset. Your, your goal is to survive this thing. Like, don't get cute. You know, don't, don't procrastinate. Uh, 
you know, if you need to cut, cut now um, and, and just make sure you have the runway to get through this thing. But also create scenarios. I think scenario planning is really key. Um, I think some, some founders uh, are pressured to predict exactly when things are going to get back to normal. Like, oh, so we're going to assume that things are going to get back to normal on, on you know, May 30th. And then, you know, that's what we're basing our entire plan on. It's like, well, no boom notes. So let's create scenario A, scenario B, scenario C, and go from there. And then revisit these on uh, a weekly basis, if not more frequently, to see, you know, where everything is. And I think that way you're, you're dealing with it on a case-by-case, business-by-business basis rather than just giving, trying to give universal advice to everybody. And I think that was where we spent and are still spending a lot of our time is kind of like helping our founders walk through those different scenarios. And, and basically it's like each, think of it as like each subsequent scenario is an escalating scenario where they might have to cut more costs. They might have to adapt their business model, uh, whatever it is. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more on the scenarios thing. I've got, I've created so many different scenarios over the last month for full scale that it honestly, we've had a couple moments where I would be on the phone with the COO, our COO, and I'd be like, are we looking at the same scenario? You know, just like so many tabs and some of that. And 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 I think that that's really healthy. Um, yep. It gives you, it gives you a lot of, and, 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 you know, the thing that for myself, that's been challenging is like you mentioned is just having no realistic idea of what could happen tomorrow and, you know, and where that changes. Some businesses are, well, like Matt had mentioned a business that was in the event space and they're like, Hey, we don't have any revenue. We furloughed everyone. Like, well, I mean, at full scale, that wouldn't be possible. Those people are providing services. They're providing tech services for people. And then, you know, we have some, we had to figure out, uh, you know, a lot of clients shrank their spend. Like, where's the bottom with that? What do we need to do to do this? What do we need to do that? Who is unlikely to pay their bill, even though they will tell you that they can and just different stuff. And like, that was one of the very first things that we did was kind of just determining where our higher risk scenarios were like, you know, just what, what could or should happen. And then the thing that was honestly, as the as being an operator in the company that was the hardest for me was dude, no one, no one had created a viral, a viral, viral contagion policy or protocol or like what we do. And like our office is open 24 hours a day. You can get into it with biometric scanning. We had to like shut that off because our employees kept coming to work. We're like, go home, stay home, stay safe. And just like doing all that stuff. And, you know, you're trying to create things on the fly while dealing with everything else. And it's, I mean, I have a whole new respect for, for uh, prior proper planning, preventing poor performance. Is that. <laughs> wow. That's I, very alliterative. I, I well, Watts, Watts, Watson said he's down with PPP. I am. So I thought that I could go like twice as good. That's like, that's a lot of peas, right? So you know, Matt, I'm, I'm curious from, from Stackify's point of view and, and yours as well, where your, so I think the contingency planning and the scenario planning and also other things like, like, for example, I think certain, certain actions and activities can also really be done in poor taste accidentally. Like uh, like three weeks ago, I, I was like, hey, we need to turn off all of our marketing e- automation. 
you know, like in certain things, like you can really, uh, there's just certain stuff that you have to completely revise. What were the conversations you, you all were having at Stackify, Matt? Yeah. I mean, like most companies, we kind of reviewed what we were spending all the money on. And you mentioned, you know, doing things in, in good or bad taste. And, you know, one thing we were counting on was a price increase. We, and it wasn't so much a price increase, but it was changing our pricing model around. And so we went ahead and rolled that out, but we didn't roll it out and force all our existing customers into the new pricing model because giving everybody a price increase right now sounds like the worst idea in the world, right? It's just not a tasteful thing to do. Um, But on the expense side, you know, we cataloged what we spent all our money on, you know, how much we spent on hosting and marketing and advertising and all these different things, right? And what you quickly figure out is a lot of it doesn't add up to a whole lot. If you spend a hundred bucks here, 200 bucks there, whatever, it makes sense. But when you add them all up, it may only be five grand a month. And when your payroll is like 300 grand a month and all of a sudden you got to make huge cuts, unfortunately payroll is a lot of times the biggest thing there is to cut, which is really what you don't want to cut. So, you know, we, um, you know, we've been fortunate because our, our, our business and has been relatively flat and we were able to get the, the, payroll protection funds as well. So that was a huge, you know, help as well. You know, we're, we're not growing like we thought we would. And when, and like a lot of startups, right, you kind of invest and spend money expecting to see the growth that comes from it. So then, you, you know, you spend all this money, you don't get the growth. It's like, uh Oh, now what? So, you know, you have to kind of reformulate the plan and, um, you know, but so far we're cut a few expenses, but haven't, you know, haven't had made any changes to our team. We got the whole team in, in tax still. And um, like John said, you know, we're a little bit just heads down, heads down. Let's get some work done and uh, get through this on the other side. I think overall, I think, th- I think PPP was, was a hail Mary for a lot of people. Cause, Huge. Cause you know, you, you, you mentioned like, just like, I mean, here's the thing is it, it I mean, both it, at full scale as well, it, I mean, it prevented the, it, it at least gave a little bit, well, we say the Hail Mary. If you're going to throw the Hail Mary pass, you got to have some time in the pocket. Well, in full scale, you can't, you can't just somebody. get attacked right away. Right. Yeah. I mean, full scale hired somebody in Kansas City like one week before this should happen. I don't know if that guy has ever even worked in our office before. We, well, that that's, that's interesting to mention. So, and we had given that job offer just before March 1st. It, none of this was really a real feeling. I was on my way to the Philippines. And yeah, so I, it's funny because we have a, a new sales director who I have yet to meet in person. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, you know, that, so I haven't had the opportunity. So, and he started on uh, March 23rd and, and that was, you know, that was an interesting, uh, it, you talk about interesting things. So we shut, we locked the full scale office in Cebu city down on the 15th of March. And we were a little ahead of everyone else. We're about a week ahead of, of the standard there. But, you know, you have these questions like, Hey, we got this new person starting and, and this and that. Now, the one thing that I didn't not want to have was sales, like sales people. And I knew that, you know, cause I've primarily been the, the salesperson. And, you know, I realized that I, I mean, and I, I'll tell you what, if, if we had decided to not continue forward with having our sales guy start, who, by the way, on his first day, I was literally like, so dude, you were probably starting on the worst possible day other than like nine 11, 
That's right. You know, and, I mean, I was like, and, and, you know, with that, I had to draw back my own expectations though. And you talk about that. I was like, I gotta be honest with you, man. Like you, as great of a salesperson as I hope that you are, I don't have very high expectations. And we use, you talk about building. We actually use those first couple of weeks to really kind, to really do a lot of stuff that it was, it was kind of a maintenance mode kind of thing. You talk about patching the sales. So it was like, you know, this is a good opportunity for us to really get on the same page, to create some processes, to do a few things, to start figuring out who we want to approach when and where. And, and some of that was back to that assessment of, of who, what ended, okay, where are we just chasing nothing, you know? And, and like us, I don't know, like they might not have concerts for a year to a year and a half. I mean, that's so that, that, you know, in certain industries trying to chase them down, um, you know, really wasn't it. So on the flip side of that, who's winning out of this? And we, we actually have done a pretty effective job. We've actually signed up new clients, uh, quite a few of them, a lot more than I was expecting over the last few weeks. So, you know, there is, there is activity going out there. People are still innovating. They're still building tech. There's still a massive shortage of programmers that when it compares to domestic stuff and then you have other weird things like today, uh, uh, they, uh, basically shut off immigration and, you know, some of those people do tech jobs and different stuff. So it's a, every day it's a different, I mean, oil was free yesterday, <laughs> you know, like, however that works. Like if I, I filled if, up my swimming pool, you know, Matt, that part of the business plan for the podcast where we were going to build that massive oil storage facility and you called me crazy, I would have looked like a genius. But I don't know. I, I still, I, I stated recently that anything that I knew about economics is false. I, I, I've been, I, I don't understand. I think America's greatest innovation is still the mint. <laughs> Out of money, let's print more. Um, yeah. Well, speaking of printing money, John. Um, so when at Firebrand, what kind of businesses, you know, let's just let's forget all the the uh, the the lack of normalcy, as we'll say. I mean, what, what kind of businesses do you guys like to invest in at what stage and what size? Yeah, you know, we're we're sort of a traditional seed stage investor. And so what that means for us is that, you know, um, we love to see startups with some traction, some revenue traction. You know, the the sort of rule of thumb that is you know not set in stone at all. Um, but guideline we use if you know if it's a SaaS business, we like to see like at least maybe ten or fifteen K MRR, something like that. Um, that gets our attention, makes us think, hey, you know, they can execute, they can make a product, sell a product, maybe this is an early indication of product market fit. Um you know, our ge geographically, we really try to stay between the coasts as much as possible. Or if it's on the coast, it's in more underserved communities. So that's just another way of saying most of our investments are going to be outside San Francisco, Boston, New York. Um, and, you know, we love we love places like Austin. We love Boulder and Denver, love Chicago. Uh, obviously, we've made a bunch of investments here in Kansas City as well. Um, and, you know, for us, more than anything else, more than probably more than sector is uh, we really over index on the team, which sounds super, super cliche these days. Uh, but that's really what, you know, I've personally learned from a lot of the mentors I've had over the years uh, 
who have had you know decades of experience as, as VCs and angel investors is just how incredibly important it is to to get to know the founders before you invest. Let them get to know you. Um, because like any great relationship, it's a two-way street and like build, build that relationship, build the trust and try and do that before you write the first check. And that's sort of like our, our recurring theme at Firebrand and our, our sort of tagline says um, that we invest in trusted relationships with exceptional founders. Um, and we definitely do that more, more than we invest in in the startup themselves. Of course, we have to love what they're doing. We have to love the market and the product and so forth. But um, for us, it, it, it's always going to come back to the team. And then, and then post-investment, you know, we're, our job is, is to support that team however we can, uh, to be there for them, to be a sounding board. Sometimes we help certain companies with very specific things, um, like raising another round, bringing other investors to the table, trying to find strategic partners, whatever. And, and then other founders, we're kind of like a support system or a sounding board more than anything else. And just, they like to know that we're just, we're there for them whenever they reach out, that we'll be responsive, we'll be accessible. Um, and we love founders that do that. And that's really what we try to get to know before we make the investment is, are these founders who are going to be comfortable asking for help? especially when they're struggling uh, because that's obviously the most important time to get help. And you guys know, like it's, it's human nature sometimes when you're struggling to like retreat, right? Like you retreat into yourself and, you know, you don't want to ask anybody for help. You're afraid that you're going to be seen as a failure or a screw up. If you reach out to someone and say, you don't know what to do, or you really messed up and made a mistake. And, and where do we go from here? Uh, we love founders that, are feel like trusting and secure enough uh, to reach out during those times and, and really get feedback, not just from us, from, but from a variety of other people as well. Um, so that's kind of how we, how we invest and in, in how we work with founders a little bit. You know, I think 10 years ago, I would have been afraid to make that call, you know, in that, in that tough moment. And like, I mean, maybe that's just a little more maturity or I don't know, something or really learning to value the, the people in my network. Now, um, I want to go back to to the, you know, you meant you said, oh, this might be cliche, but we like to invest in great teams and founders. We have basically asked people that do investment of any kind, do you like the jockey or do you like the horse? And mm -hmm. overwhelmingly jockey wins. Um uh, now, but I, I like to try to get more insight about what about founders like. So, what, so we mentioned like, will they reach out for help, but what type of specific stuff yep. is like what kind of qualities, whether it's personality style or experience or really any of it? Yeah, that's a that's an awesome question, because there's there's so many different character traits right, that, that can add up to being a successful founder. Uh, and every founder is different. Um, we sort of have two, we, this is how I personally think of it, um, is there's sort of, sort of two, two categories of checklists, um, if you will. Like one, one of them is just like basic prerequisites. It's it, to even like move it forward in our investment process. You know, things like, 
characteristics you look for from anybody that you want to be friends with or have a relationship with honesty, integrity, good communication skills, you know, they're respectful, you know, they're, they're very focused, uh, able to tune out a lot of the noise and just sort of focus on their mission, very determined. Um, uh, and then you get more into sort of like the more sort of nuanced, complex category of traits, like have these founders been personally affected by this problem they're solving? Um, what have they done in their past that proves that they can execute? And it doesn't, it doesn't mean that they have to have had an exit of a previous startup, even though that's, it's always nice to see. Um, but what types of things have they built before? Right. Have they built amazing products? Have they built products? Even if the startup ended up failing, can they build a beautiful product that delights their customer? Um, and, you know, for us, it's a long game also, you know, we, we're not interested in founders that are looking for a quick flip, for example. Uh, we want founders that are build, want to build something iconic and lasting and really big and audacious. Um, and so those are some of the things that we look for in founders. We have to be really aligned. It's kind of weird. I mean, on the one hand, we've made a lot of investments. On the other hand, we've been investing for a while. Um, and so for us, the stars have to kind of align uh, to really make it to the point where, where we're making an investment. You know, it's easier for us to make an investment if we've known the founders for years, which obviously is not going to happen every time. Um, but we just made an investment, but we haven't announced it yet. Um, and they're kind of still in stealth mode, but we've known the found, I've personally known the founders for seven years. And so, and, and they had an exit in their, a nice exit in their previous company. And so, so to us, that's the idea, but knowing that's not always going to happen, we try to accelerate that sort of relationship building during our evaluation process you know, if we if we don't already have a, a pre-existing relationship with the founders because we don't want to drag it out. We don't want to be too selfish and be like, well, wait, we have to get to know each other for the next two to three months before we'll make the investment. That's stupid. And that would be bad behavior on, on the part of an investor, I think. Um, so we try to really cram in a lot of interaction with the founders when we're evaluating startups. What are a couple things that are guaranteed to get me not funded by you? Any type of dishonesty from that's clear from the start when things just don't add up um, too much. And then I would say as a corollary to that, too much spin. So it might technically not, might not be dishonest, but like if things are really a stretch and they're spinning a lot of things in their pitch or for their business, that's not a great sign. Um, poor communication. I would say, you know, sort of lack of follow-up or not not delivering what they said they would. Uh, that's that's a red flag. Um, so those are some of the things that just stand right out. Um, and then I think one thing that is this is actually a really hard thing to do, as you as you guys know, I think it's hard for any founder, is like, can you clearly articulate your business in a really super compelling way? And really cut right to the bone of like, what makes you better? What makes you different? Why is this an amazing opportunity for everybody involved? And I think the founders that really struggle to do that and really struggle so that it's hard sometimes to even figure out exactly what they do, how they do it, what their approach to their market is. Um, I think that can be challenging as well if they can't articulate that.
So Matt, you've invested in a few businesses along the way. What are what are some of the things that that turn you on when it comes to writing checks? You know, for me, I think part of it is being interested in the business, um, understanding it, being passionate about it. You know, sometimes people come to me, you know, in the past and they want me to invest in something. And it's like, I just don't really care about what you're doing. Like, it's not something that interests me, you know, and, and I think it's got to be, and ideally it's something hopefully I can add a little value to in some way or another. But people always ask me to invest in real estate or this or that. And I'm like, I don't know anything about real estate. I'm not investing in real estate. Now, maybe that would be a much smarter idea. I don't know. But, you know, I, I a lot of times it's, it's just got to be something I'm interested in. So, and you got to like the team. I think the team's really important. But it's really hard to know the team very well unless you've known them for years. Yeah, you know, for myself, the one thing that you said is I, I want to be able to bring value. I want to have some understanding about what you're doing. I mean, I've actually had people that have had great ideas and I've said, hey, you know what? I, I, I'm i certain you're going to be successful. It's just not going to be with me as your investor. And, and, you know, they'll say, well, why this is a great opportunity. I'm like, I don't know anything about anything that you're doing. It's not related to anything I have a strength at. I can't shorten the sales cycle for you by introducing you to anyone. Like I, I have no value here other than a check. And I want to be more than that. And, and I think that that's, uh, well, and another thing too, is like you said, Matt, if you don't have any interest in it, I mean, you're not going to give a shit about it. Yeah. It's like, it, it's just realistically like now on the flip side of that, you know, well, I'll give you an example, mixtape the game. I worked in the music industry for almost 15 years and we're going to play mixtape the game here in a minute. But when the, the founder of the game, who's now our chief mar marketing officer, put it in front of me, I was like, dude, I get it. This makes so much sense. Why doesn't this have an app? He's like, well, why do you think I'm here, Matt? Um, and so full scale built mixtape and app, which you can find on iOS and Android, but now it's time for us to play. So John, I don't, have you played mixtape before? I have not. There's a first time for everything. So I have pulled a card out of the mixtape deck, or perhaps I'm viewing it on mixtape, the app once again on iOS and Android, I'm going to read a scenario that happens to be very suitable for today's topic. And I'm going to read the scenario. We are all going to name a song that comes to mind related to the scenario. We will pick the winner. You may not vote for yourself. Okay, here we go. You just sold a successful company that you built with your bare hands from the ground up. As you walk down the soon to be empty hallways and think all about the people that have helped you make it what it is, the challenges and the victories what song is playing in the background? <laughs> oh my God, this is hard. <laughs> it is. It is. And now <laughs> the the first thing that comes to mind now, you know, I, for me, I'm kind of like still feeling like we are the champions. Uh, is, and I know that I know that feels kind of cliche and Watson was probably going to, you were, I'm guess, guessing by your reaction. That was your, your guess. Uh. Well, you should have spoken up, buddy. You guys were both looking stumped. This is so hard. Um, I should I should have a bunch of answers to this. Well, then you just got to throw one out there. But so, <clears throat> Watson, do you want that answer? Do you no, need I'm, that? I'm going to go with another Queen song. Oh, gosh. All right. What do you got? I'm going to go with Don't Stop Me Now. 
All right. Let's see. I'm going to go with, oh, man, what would be a good celebration song? I don't know. Maybe Back in Black by ACDC. Mm, that's good. I, I, I like that because I can kind of see, what what was his name? The Angus. He does that Angus thing where he's like, kind of yeah. like kicking his leg all the way across the stage, yeah. ripping a guitar exactly. solo. I could see doing that, going down that hallway after an exit. You got my vote, John. <laughs> so all right, John it. wins. Are you vote for John as well? Yeah, John wins. Matt sucks. Congrats, congratulations. You are the winner of Mixtape the Game. So, all right. So we usually end episodes of Startup Hustle. Now, now you are the founder of Firebrand, right? Correct. Yep. Okay. So then you're eligible here. So we do what we call the we call the founder freestyle. Uh, we will start with you here momentarily, John. But, you know, we talk about a lot of different stuff and a lot of different topics. This can be used to resolve. It can be used to advise. You can just rap if you want. You can do whatever you want. It's a freestyle. But uh, it, it, so as, as we round out, once again, another great episode of Startup Hustle brought to you by Fullscale.io with us today and about to have his freestyle was John Fine. That's spelled F-E-I-N for those of you that want to find him on social media, on Twitter, at John Fine or Firebrand VC, also found on the internets at firebrandvc.com. So, John, how what would you like to say to the startup, the, the hustlers out there on the way out of this episode? Yeah, well, no one wants to hear me rap, uh, including myself. <laughs> oh, I, I, we do. So, we do. <laughs> so, I would say, uh, you know, especially when it when it comes to uh, founders that are that are outside the Bay Area um, or Boston, New York. Um, Think big, you know, you gotta, you gotta be audacious. You know, this sounds super corny, but it's true. You know, especially not to, not to go, you know, go uh, dark uh, on this topic, but like any of us, especially if have, have lost any loved ones in our life, it reminds you that life is super short. And sometimes you only get one crack at something, right? And, and sometimes you may only have one crack at doing a startup. And it, it will take you the exact same amount of time, effort, stress, everything to go big as it is to, to not go big, right? And so, so my, my advice to startups is don't be afraid to go for it. Uh, don't be afraid to be misunderstood uh, and just be incredibly audacious and make sure it's something that you're obsessed with. Because that's what's going to get you out of bed every morning. That's what's going to enable you to like survive the roller coaster ride uh, that we all know startup life is. Um, find something you're incredibly obsessed with, and and go big. Mr. Watson, you're up. You know, I always say this the the same thing he he did, but I always use the just the word passionate about right like. You know, as a as a founder, we all wake up once or twice a week. Or we get to the end of the day once or twice a week and we're like, why are we doing this shit? I should be drawing unemployment for an extra $600 a week right now. Would be way better. Uh, just kidding. But um, it's hard. It's stressful. It's crazy. And But being passionate about it is the only thing that gets you to wake back up the next morning and continue the dogfight again. And uh, I, I think that's absolutely one of the most critical things. And, um, I guess my, my other, uh, thing to add today is for those that are, are wishing that John would, uh, invest in your company to, uh, 
hang in there. It might be a few more weeks or months. And, uh, you know, I know a, a few people in that boat that are hoping the VC world's going to come back around. And yeah, DeCourcy mentioned the Sequoia thing earlier that said their recommendation was you needed 12 to 18 months of uh, runway because it may be 12 to 18 months because until kind of normal VC investing capital kind of comes back around. So for those that are out there thinking about raising money, I wouldn't be counting on it right now. I'd have plan B and C. It's good. Thank you. Thank you. Master Watson. Matt's Matt's known as master Watson here on, (laughs) on the, on the podcast. You know, John, you said something that's been a recurring theme in and around, you know, things that, that I find myself saying, and also am highly open to conceptualizing, um, you know, when you, so, and I'm going to, when you go to talk, when you get, when, after you go to firebrandvc.com and John looks at your deck and has a meeting with you, don't be afraid to sell him on your big dream. Like, like what can this be? Like it's, it's different than what it could be in a year, but what do you really see it being? I think the thing that stands out the most when it comes, here's your, you got a shot. Someone's going to, if someone's going to listen to you, take, take the shot. You're going to miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Sell people on your big dream, not on how you are trying to just make it to six months from now. What is your overall vision how many moves ahead on the chessboard do you see what are the different scenarios what are the different options how much have you thought it out now you use the term obsessed i think the obsession part is going to lead to all those different scenarios they're going to lead to you thinking it out that's how you get six moves ahead on the chess game the great chess masters of the world are thinking three, four, five moves ahead. And that's because they have literally, you talk about scenarios, they've considered them all. They've considered them all. Like most people don't realize that there are 7,700 different chords you can play on a guitar. Like, I mean, that's scenarios. Like it's the whole thing. There is a level of depth and thoughtfulness that you will find if you get if you, if you really get deep into the people that have been the most successful, they are borderline obsessive. They might, they're walking the line between being a genius and being fucking crazy. Yep. And, and it really is true. And, you know, are you obsessed or are you driven? It depends who you ask. But those are the people that get up, they, they get up off the mat, they bounce off the ropes, they go over the top rope and they come off the top rope at the times that they need to do it. So, I mean, it really it, it, you know, like don't throttle your own ambition, uh, for the sake of conventional, uh, of conventional approach. Like, and, and John, I I'm just curious and, and normally we would end right here, but would that approach get your attention in a presentation more so than like, well, I need this tiny amount of money to get me through six months. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And you, you'd be surprised at how infrequently that actually happens. We don't hear a lot of, you know, it doesn't matter where the startups from. We don't hear a lot of huge, big visions. Um, and when we do, it's exciting. Like, it, it doesn't even matter. The beautiful part is everyone knows, like, who knows what's going to happen in five to 10 years? Nobody knows. The exciting part is how the founder's thinking about it to be, you know, in some, you know, really significant position back, doing something really special by then. So, yeah, I mean, when we hear that, it's, it's awesome. I well, mean, it's rare to find people that have that sort of vision at all. 
That's right. A lot of people right. don't have like that kind of product vision of where something is going. That's true. They well, don't, and, the, and, the, and, right. and they understand and the understanding that they can see themselves as being part of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes you can look at something like AI and be like, oh, this could be fucking huge. Well, are you a part of that? Or are you just someone that's saying that that's what other people will use? You know, I mean, I mean there, there's a big difference in that. And, you know, you, and, and for those of you that listen to Startup Hustle regularly, first off, thank you. And thanks, John, for taking time to talk to us today. This was this was amazing. Um, but, you know, listen to what you this is becoming routine investors want to invest in you and therefore it's up to you to sell you based on that i'm going to get busy writing my pitch because i still got to throw this in front of john i'm thinking that he'll probably start by listening to 300 to 400 episodes of startup hustle see if we're on to something on my list anyway (laughs) thanks john thank you you next time guys appreciate it Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Startup Hustle with Matt DeCorsi and Matt Watson. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit startuphustle.xyz. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on Startup Hustle.